Welcome to Jay Madison's Rural America. It's a journey through the stories impacting rural economies and country lifestyles. Jay Madison's Rural America is also a production of Jefferson County Economic Development. Now here's Jay. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Jay Madison's Rural America. And that is me, Jay Madison, along with our astounding, I came up with a different way to describe you today, Ron, that I can say publicly, Uh, astounding Ron Robbins, our co-host and owner, partner in Old McDonald's Farm, North Harbor Dairy and Robbins Family Grain. Thank you, Jay. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Hey, before we get to our guest, which folks, we've got a really great guest uh, joining us today. So make sure that you stay uh, listening to the podcast here because we're going to have a really great conversation about the farm bill and all kinds of very important agricultural issues. But before we get into that, on the local level, we have a very important thing to announce. And that is round two of the Jefferson County Food Resiliency Grant Program. In 2022, uh, we had round one, and that was a program to help grow our local food supply. It was very successful. Uh, Jefferson County gave us a grant of $400,000. We had 26 different local farms and food businesses apply, and that focused on value-added food processing. And we did all kinds of great things like helped a, uh, a local dairy farm that does on-farm dairy processing to make cheese and gelato. Uh, they were able to grow their operation. We did all kinds of projects like that. Well, today, with this podcast, we are announcing round two is available. Round two, we have two different categories now. We have the first category is on value-added food processing. Again, Jefferson County's allocated $100,000. Uh, that we can award out in grants of up to $10,000 for value-added food processing. And we have a new category, and that is agricultural production. Agricultural production is for folks that are interested in, for example, let's say you have a fruit crop and you need to harvest it. Uh, You don't have the right equipment or there's a better way to do it. You can apply for a grant of up to $20,000 to, uh, you know, purchase equipment or technology, uh, things like that, that will help you improve your, your production of that particular crop. And we're focused on, you know, the five major food groups, fruits, vegetables, dairy, livestock, um, Uh, We also do honey and maple syrup. All of the information on this grant program, and we're starting to accept applications today, all of the information on this grant program is available at agricultureevents.com. That's agricultureevents.com. You can go on there, learn all of the information, and we've got a real easy way of applying there. Uh, So go there, check it out. But we're really excited, thanks to Jefferson County, the Jefferson County Board of Legislators, for allocating the funds for us to be able to grow our local food supply here in Jefferson County. So really exciting news, Ron. Yeah, great, great job, Jay. Um, It's really, and you know, it really segues into our guest today. And I'll let you do an introduction here, and then I'd like to make a couple comments in regards to kind of how this grant program 
really fits in and segues into our discussion. Sure, sure. Okay, so it is my pleasure to once again introduce uh, her second time on the show with us, Congresswoman Claudia Tenney. She is our Congresswoman for the 24th Congressional District, which covers most of Jefferson County. And uh, Congresswoman Tenney serves on the House Finance, or excuse me, the House Ways and Means Committee and the House Science, Space, and Technology Committee. But I will say, Ron, before I let you take it away, I will say her uh, attention to agriculture has been phenomenal. Uh, she's been here in Jefferson County. She's been talking to farmers all over her congressional district, and it's been fantastic. Absolutely, Jay. Congresswoman, welcome today. And you know, it's really been amazing to see your engagement out here in the ag community across your district, which, you know, is so diverse when it comes to agriculture. And I know today we want to talk a little bit about the Farm Bill and what's going on in Washington, D.C. in regards to agriculture. And, you know, I, I, I get thinking about farm bills. And, you know, I started farming in the late 70s. And probably the most notable farm bill was the 85 Farm Bill. You know, and we still have policies in place today. Unfortunately, I think some of those policies are, are significantly outdated. But we still have policies in place today here in the United States that were put in in the 85 Farm Bill. And when I think about what's going on around the world right now, and we talk about food resiliency here and the fact that, you know, we're trying to grow local food here in Jefferson County, as is a lot of other communities across this nation, especially rural communities. But I think this is maybe one of the most important farm bills that I can ever remember in my farming career. You know, maybe going back to that 85 farm bill when we had surpluses and everything else. But this is really a key time in history uh, for farm bill discussions. Yeah, well, thank you so much for that kind introduction. And it's, it's such a distinct pleasure for me to represent this district, this newly formed New York 24th Congressional District. Just for your listeners again and for, you know, so they know, this district actually starts north of Clayton in Jefferson County, goes all the way down and winds into Jefferson, Oswego, uh, into Wayne, picks up the Finger Lakes, all the way out to Lockport. And so it's a very, very large district. But it has one really important thing. Uh, in common, which is why I'm always talking to you guys and why I'm engaged, but this is the number one agricultural district in the Northeast, not just New York, but in the Northeast. So it's critically important, not just to New York, it's critically important to the entire Northeast and actually to our country because we have a lot of really key assets. Uh, We have a lot of history, uh, as you know, uh, and we produce so many diverse uh, items. I mean, you were just describing some of the things, but number one dairy district in the Northeast. Uh, we are known for our beef, we do poultry, we do corn, we do feed, we do alfalfa, green beans, onions, grapes. Uh, we have the, the huge uh, you know, Finger Lakes wineries that are finally coming around and really getting their credit that they, they much really, you know, richly deserve. Uh, we have maple syrup and apples. Uh, Wayne County is the number three apple-producing county in the entire nation. So only, only to be uh, outdone by two counties in Washington State. And oh, by the way, we haven't received the kind of funding from the federal government to help cultivate a lot of what we do, whether it's the, the wineries or, in, or the apple producing. And we're finally getting some, some support on that. So it's really an incredible district in terms of the diversity of what we produce, the food that we create, and the food security that we could provide, not just to the region and to the Northeast and our country, but you, you alluded to it a little bit, Ron, is the ability to market the great 
uh, food that we produce overseas and some of the market access problems we've encountered in trying to get our, our food overseas, but also in trying to ensure that we don't have uh, foreign governments and, and China and other countries just dumping cheap goods here. We have an issue with, with Canada, as you know, on the dairy side. We've been doing that for a long time. So, but these are things that we have to be mindful of. And also I have a, a background in agriculture on my mother's side. You know, they're, they're from, uh, my, my mother's from the Hamilton, uh, her family, the Hamilton, New York, sort of Shenango, Madison County area. So uh, a lot of, you know, there were, every, yeah, they left the farm to, to go and do a business. And my grandfather started a business, you know, a lot of it for farmers. The very first newspaper uh, my dad purchased to add to our newspaper from 1946 was the farm and home edition of our penny savers. So really important, uh, important agricultural uh, assets that we had, and we were really devoted to them. And I, and I just love, I love the whole farming thing. There's nothing more beautiful to me than driving down the street and driving down this absolutely spectacularly beautiful district with Lake Ontario, the Finger Lakes, the rolling hills, and seeing, you know, the beautiful harvest. And now we're into fall, so it's amazing, you know, where this fall harvest is out. The apples are everywhere. The, you know, the corn's ready to be cut. I mean, it's just incredible. So, and what we could do in, as a state if we had a little more help from the state side, as you know, admit this has been a huge long problem, not really understanding what, what farmers really do and how hard it is to farm and how much harder the state's made it. And I can say that because I served in the state legislature for six years in the assembly, but also on the federal level. And you, you talked about what we, we can do in the farm bill and what some of our priorities are. So we came right out of the gate in this new district, and I did a farm bill listening tour, and thank you guys for participating. Yes. Uh, Jefferson County, we went across the district. We did four or five different meetings with stakeholders from everywhere, farmers from all different uh, types of uh, you know industries, all different kinds of people. Uh, we had an amazing turnout, really good input. And I, drew, I wrote a letter, you know, basically to tell the Agricultural Committee, my friend G.T. Thompson, who's the chair of it now from Pennsylvania, he always gets a kick out of the fact that I have a larger ag district than he does. <laughs> um, so that's fun, too. But, you know, just some of the things that we learned, uh, what we learned from, from uh, the farmers in New York State, some of the, the good things that we have to offer and some of the challenges that we have. And not a lot of it has changed. Over the, over the last, uh, you know, 10 years or so that I've been in office. But, you know, I don't know about the 1985 Farm Bill, but i got to agree with you, Ron. This bill is so critically important. And before I get into some of our legislative priorities, which we were going to talk about on the Farm Bill, I do want to tell everyone that almost 80% of the Farm Bill, which was a big shocker to me when I first went to Washington, has to do with the Supplemental Nutrition, Nutrition Assistance Program, otherwise known as SNAP. So I was like, wow, what, isn't this about farmers and farming and USDA and milking, uh, you know, the margin programs? But, you know, uh, but, but be it as it may, we have to deal with this issue because right. it's is so important right now where we are. And I'm a little worried about where we're going to be with the farm bill because right now we don't even have, uh, you know, the agricultural uh, side of the appropriations process bill done, which we we're hoping to have in August. I know we've been in touch with uh, with the chairman of the Ag Committee, T.C. Thompson's office, uh, on a regular basis. The probes is right down the hall from my office. And uh, we're hoping to get it in August. We're hoping in September we can get a bill that we can get passed. Why? Uh, and, we, and then move on to a five-year farm bill. So we already even at the one-year point. But a lot of really um, important things could happen that could make or break us in upstate New York. So... Um, but go ahead. You want to say something? Sure. Well, I was just, yeah. I, I was going to ask, why has that been delayed? How come we don't have that yet? 
Well, there's a lot of disagreement about spending, and I think every one of us, including every farmer I know, is very frugal, very careful with their good business owners, good, good with their money management. You know, the federal government overspends, and the state government overspends, as we know. We're seeing this overrun of uh, our budgets, you know, mostly due to years of spending, but also now added and made worse by this migrant uh, crisis that we're seeing because oh, of a failure in disaster. policy. Yeah. yeah, real disaster. But so a lot of spending and some of the uh, the conservatives, and I'm a conservative, don't want to spend anything. They want to straight across the board cuts, which I, you know, we may end up with. That was part of what the, uh, the debt ceiling plan was. If we can't pass all 12 appropriations bills in what they call regular order through the committees of jurisdiction, the ag, the ag component, for example, through ag, uh, we are going to be forced and we agreed to reduce our, our, our budget for the federal government by 1%. It has never been done in the history of this country. So we do want to have a good farm bill. We don't want anything to be taken away from our farmers. We do think we can find some cuts to, to the, uh, the SNAP and entitlement program and that aspect of, of the farm bill, because quite honestly, the more people we get to work, the less people are eligible for SNAP. And that's how the program works. If we can get people to work, uh, they will, we'll, we'll bring down that part of the budget. So, that's part Jeez. of our incentives is getting people to work. Imagine that, that. That's a new way of thinking uh, compared to the last however many years. Actually yeah. work to to make a living and feed your family. Wow. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah uh, and revolutionary. Also, yeah, think about that. Yeah, well, and also remember, we are dependent on growth, as, as you all know. I mean, we need to have growth in our, in, our, in our economies to grow and pull us out of some of these fiscal woes that we're facing. So... I, you know, that's another aspect of it. But let me just top, like, I know that, that just for your listeners, just a couple of things about the things we've asked to. We don't want to see any cuts to the existing farm bill programs. So we think that what the, some of the programs, I think, you know, that could be streamlined, could be made a little more efficient, a little better. But I would just like to see if we're going to go after the farm bill, let's go to the SNAP side of it. Let's give more incentives to work. That's the number one problem I hear from every single employer I go to, everyone, small, medium, large farming, manufacturing, retail, number one problem is getting people to come to work. So let's yeah. put some incentives in yeah. some incentives to get people to come to work so we can produce the goods and services we need to grow our economy and so, also to pay our bills. Congresswoman, so, along those lines, um, you know, a lot of times you hear from folks that, you know, are sitting there eligible for programs like SNAP, which certainly during these inflationary times are, are vitally important. But a lot of times they'll tell you that if they actually go out and get a job, um, they tend to lose their benefits completely. So that, and that's, a, that's a big problem. You know, I, I remember uh, in my first term, which was 2017 and 2018, you know, we, uh, was, uh, we, the Republicans held the majority in the House and the Senate. Uh, President Trump was in office and he first started cutting uh, unnecessary government regulations empowering our, our energy independence, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which, you know, just were tremendously good for, uh, for all, all across the country, uh, imposed tariffs on China. In some cases, it was better than others, but in some industries. And we saw all of a sudden a, a, a reduction. I, I mean, I'll tell you a funny story. We saw this reduction in people eligible for SNAP because they were back at work. We saw the lowest unemployment rates. Uh, that we've seen across all sectors, all demographics in, in something like 30 and 40 years. So it was a good thing. Our, our economy was growing. It was dynamic. And yet I did have some protesters in front of my office feeding homeless people saying that I was cutting SNAP. Well, we weren't cutting SNAP. 
it was less people that were playing and eligible because they were working. And that's the good thing. And so that's what we hope to accomplish, use the incentives to do this time around, and really give our farmers a chance to recover. Because, as you know, it's, it's not been easy uh, the last few years in New York State with a lot of the changes in the rules there. Uh, across, as you, there's so many issues that we've been fighting on the labor front, uh, whether it's the, you know, the minimum wage hour, the hours uh, for overtime, uh, all the things that we've been, you know, the farm labor bill, a lot of things that made it really difficult for farmers in New York to eat outside of New York State. So, and we must do that. We're, we're an important component of, not, as I said, not just the Northeast, but the, but the entire country. Right. And so we're looking for some things. No cuts. I just, I just want to make sure we understand that. Um, we want to also reform the, the crop insurance program. Uh, we think it needs to be uh, better suited for specialty crops. You guys all told me that during our farm listening session, so that was helpful. Um, also, you know, you just described some of the block grant funding you're talking about, but maybe some funding for some specialty crop uh, grant funding, you know, like right. a block grant approach, mm-hmm. something we could do there. Uh, and also providing educational support for farmers in the research and monitoring of invasive species. We heard a lot about that uh, during the whole program. Um, also, the dairy margin coverage, tier one coverage, uh, that was something we're talking about bringing that level uh, up to five million pound limit. Now that better reflect some of the consolidation. That that five and I apologize for interrupting. That five yeah, million pound that that is designed. If if that were to be included into the farm bill, that that helps all of our farms, all of our dairy farms, be able to take advantage of the dairy margin coverage program. Correct, and if and absolutely, what, and yeah, that's a that's a farm bureau. Uh, priority as well so we're glad we got the farm bureau on board with us on that too and, and they're I, pushing for it and i really think you know everywhere i go and everybody i've talked to you know whether you're a, a small farm or a fairly large farm you always have to think about how you're growing your business and growing can mean a lot of different things but you have to be able to improve profitability and and a lot of even smaller farms are consolidating in you know maybe merging with a neighboring farm and and now instead of that you know 5 million pound production cap maybe they're at 10 and there really leaves a hole there and uh, you know being able and and let's face it in the last few years the DMC program has been crucial to yes. dairy producers um, you know it's been been a lifesaver actually or you would have seen you know, a lot of producers go out of business, both big and small. And even though the bigger producers get capped out, it still is some money coming in. I mean, even in the last few months, our farming operation has, you know, benefited from that program to a certain degree. So, you know, having that cap raised is certainly important. Um, You know, do you think that stands a chance? I think, I, you know, from what I hear from GT, I think we have uh, enough Democrats that would support it so we can get in there. But we'll, we'll see what the uh, what that starts looking like as we get into as we get past agricultural appropriations so, on that side and then get into the farm bill. But this is these are what I'd like to see in the farm bill. You know, the other thing that you, you that I hear about a lot, you know, especially the smaller farmers is we're asking for greater transparency uh, with the profit margins of the dairy processors. We want to, you know, better inform dairy policy. We want to allow negotiations uh, between producers and processors and allow a more even playing field. And that's something that everyone agree- seemed to agree in. That was sort of what we consolidated after our, our tours, whether they were smaller or larger dairy. So 
that's another thing. And we also want greater flexibility coming out of the uh, USDA on uh, cover crops. You know, those are another big issue we heard. Yeah, right. A lot of the cover that's crop New York. stuff. Yeah, that really, uh, you know, comes into a lot of this green energy policies, too, and the encouragement of planting cover crops. But yet there's a lot of restrictions on timing and other things that, that really get in the way of that. So there's a lot of contradictory policies there that that exist. And, uh, you know, it seems like, uh, you know, the policy people sometime at US, sometimes at USDA, uh, and I think you see this in all branches of government, uh, they have a lot of latitude to take what Congress does and then and then take it to an extreme somewhere uh, and go in a different direction almost. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting, though, that, you know, a lot of government people, uh, unfortunately, uh, most of the people I work with haven't actually made a payroll or worked in the private sector as I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't know the sleepless nights that we used to have just hoping we could get someone to pay their bills so I could make payroll the next day or even just pay part, a part of my bills. Uh, and I think that a lot of farmers live in, you know, this is, it's a tough business. You know, you, you, uh, you don't know what's going to happen. You can ha- we had, all, we had a, a fr- an early frost in wine country and, and apple country this year. Mm-hmm. You know, anything can happen. And uh, you've got to be prepared. And that's why we want to make sure that we are having an agricultural department that understands, you know, the unpredictability at times and also the need that farmers have. You know, look, nobody works harder. Nobody, you know, works hard and, you know, whether it's in the hot sun, the cold of winter, milking cows. I mean, there's, these are, these are hard jobs that's so critically important to everything in our life. So I think, you know, I just try to make it really simple for people. When I, we talk to some of the people in the USDA, I think there's some good people that have left farming and maybe gone into USDA and they understand that. We're just hoping to get more people to get it. But, you know, another thing, when you say that, like, again, we're talking about getting our opportunity to really take advantage of our abundant water, clean water. Some parts of the, of the country don't have the water that we have. Our good soil conditions, using our better soil, you know, prioritizing using the better soil uh, to grow crops, of using it for solar panels, for example, giving farmers incentives uh, that say, hey, this is ideal, you know, growing property. Let's use this to grow uh, food, not to, you know, put solar panels. Mm -hmm. And yet so many people are compromised and struggling. So there's a lot of ways that we can do that. Also, I've had a chance to meet with some uh, foreign uh, governments and ambassadors and others who have put some unfair restrictions on some of our ability to to ship our products overseas. We did uh, we did a, a Ways and Means Committee meeting down in the port in Staten Island and talked about this a lot. And it was really interesting. Some of the you know kind of not really legitimate restrictions that they've created in other other parts of the world, like sanitary phytosanitary restrictions that aren't really real. You know, saying you know criticizing the way that we either raise our animals for food or raise our crops for food. They've indicated, you know, put tariffs in place so that we can't have access to their markets. Uh, I met with the U S trade representative, uh, you know, she's doing another meeting with us. She came to our committee about how we open up these markets and why, what a huge opportunity it would be, especially for upstate New York, where we're struggling in so many ways economically to take advantage of what we have in our assets here, short growing season. But as you know, you know, Jay and Ron, we've got like great assets. We don't have a water shortage. We've got the right. Finger Lakes. We've got Lake Ontario. We've got a lot of great opportunities that we could actually really make some some headway here. But we need to have, you know, government 
uh, you know, help as opposed to stay right. in the way. And, and one of the one of the points I'll make, uh, since you mentioned that, is uh, here in Northern New York, one of the one of the frustrations we have when it comes to, and this is on a on a small scale, but very important to Northern New York, is the tariffs or taxes, whatever you want to call them, that Canada puts on U.S. wine and alcohol problems. Uh, I think it's mostly wine. If a Canadian comes across the border and buys a bottle of wine here in northern New York, which is a huge market for us if we could open it up, if they buy a bottle of wine, by the time they get home in Canada, the taxes that the Canadian government have put on that have almost doubled the price of that wine. So the Canadians, which were near some of the biggest population centers in Canada, we can't take advantage of that because there's this unfair tariff. Yet, an American citizen can go over to Kingston in Ontario, Canada, and buy a bottle of wine there, bring it back across, and barely encounter any tax bringing it back into the U.S. So it's unfair. We have been we have been voicing our concerns for years on this and have gotten no place. So if you're talking to that U.S. trade representative, would you please beat them over the head with a two-by-four about that particular issue? Because it's very well, frustrating. Yeah, you know, we've been talking about that. Remember, it's not just in the, in the, in the Northeast. It's in the in, way out in the Northwest. Yeah. Uh, they produce great wines and they have the same problem. And we, I, I recently was added to a uh, Canada-U.S. exchange uh, program about how to better improve the relations between uh, the United States and Canada. Interesting, you know, they're our biggest trading partner. They're great allies. Uh, you know, we have so much in common, but Absolutely. we do have this real problem with tariffs and, and we're in litigation with them. We're basically in, in mediation with them right now over the milk and dairy prices, over the other tariffs. And we've raised this issue on the wine and the tariffs on that. Totally unfair to us. And so how are we going to market our wines there? But those are among the many things. I mean, it's just such an, an interesting dynamic, you know, our, our great relationship with Canada, but yet we have these issues. Um, I'm just trying to think of what else we got to get in there. I just, just want to give you a couple. Uh, we got so much. We, we could probably talk for hours about, uh, about ag. I wanted to tell you some of the things that we are doing, though, speaking sure. of wineries. Um, there's bills that I, I introduced that I want to get in the farm bill. One is the Fairness and Vineyard Data Act. And this is a, everything's bipartisan. This legislation will require the federal government to perform a nationwide grape statistics survey and increase its annual grape data location from the top two uh, largest grape producing states to the top five, which brings New York in. So New York doesn't get to be part of the top five unless we get this bill in, which would give us grape surveys and access to the Finger Lakes wineries and vineyards and give them the latest and the best technologies so that they can produce the best wines. They're still producing great wines. They, they, they are, even though they, my California friends give me a hard time, three of the last 100 of the top 100 wines last year were, were developed in the Finger Lakes. And I'm talking like all across the United States and parts of Canada right. and other areas. So we are, we are really coming up to speed on the wine. Yeah, uh, another are- thing that I'm doing, Go ahead. I was going to say we are we are very capable of producing fantastic wine here in New York State and here in Northern New York. I mean, some of our wines are are just fantastic, and w- they have won the award. So I'm glad to hear that because 
people may not realize how important being included in those statistical surveys are. They may think, well, what, what's the big deal about that? Well, when you get included in the surveys, all of a sudden, now your data is part of it. People can see, oh, New York, they're a big wine producing state. Didn't realize that. That it helps open doors for economic development programs, uh, bringing people here. It's, it is very important. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, there's actually a winery down in, uh, in the heart of the Navy Yard in, in Washington, D.C., called District Winery, and they feature Finger Lakes wines. So I yeah. love going in there and knowing that our Finger Lakes wines are being featured. So, Fantastic. Uh, we're getting there. We're making progress. It's not without a lot of work. Um, another thing that I, I just want to talk about is I co-sponsored the so-called SAP Act of 2023. This is another bill uh, that, US, that will ensure that USDA consults with maple syrup producers when directing research and educational priorities under the ACER Access Development Plan. Um, so New York is the second largest maple syrup producing state in the nation. Uh, we got a lot of it in New York and a lot of it in our district as well. And we just want to make sure our producers have a voice in the federal programs. And that's going to get us uh, in on that, um, that ACER program. So I think it's really important that, that we do that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that. Another thing that, and that came up during the farm listing bill. So I had a lot of Oswego County, uh, maple producers uh, that came to that event and then also got into the western New York area and there were a bunch more out, the, out in that area. Well, um, Another thing is... I was going to say, uh, and I hate to say it this way, but it, we re- that really is an untapped resource. I'm sorry, I got I to gotta say it. <laughs> no, that it's way. amazing. I mean, they're trying to make, uh, they're trying to make maple syrup down in, in Arizona, but it's not oh, the same. It's, yeah. It's, it's yeah. Yeah. It's synthetic, I call it. <laughs> anyway, uh, another thing, this is something about, again, expanding our ability to use and grow and use our, our, our great soil and water resources. Um, another bill is the SHOP Act, and this will require USDA programs to incentivize the consumption of frozen fruits and vegetables among the SNAP recipients. So frozen fruits and vegetables are really convenient, and they're often more nutritious than fresh fruit is because they last, and we can have them for uh, you know time and they can be used when they're needed. And so we sidelined out of the system, and we think that could really help farmers, um, you know, get gain access to markets and grow more under the SNAP program. Uh, and this will benefit all our SNAP recipients, plus update and help our, our it's going to really help our farmers in upstate New York. You can do make a lot of produce, you can refrigerate it and freeze it, and then it can be used for a longer period of time into the winter and, and makes us more competitive. And I think that's something that we're, we're really hoping. It's bipartisan, so we're hoping to add that to the farm bill as well. You know, that's that's a great idea. Um, I'll share with you, uh, you know, I announced round two of that uh, local foods grant program here at the beginning of the show. Well, in round one, uh, one of the uh, m- uh, more abundant requests uh, uh, were the uh businesses that were requesting refrigeration. For example, I had a local farm that grows asparagus and other uh, other vegetable crops, and he requested funding for uh, putting up a small freezer, which helped him uh, extend the viability of those crops before the asparagus in particular wilts very fast in any kind of heat. And so he couldn't keep that crop available to consumers for the length of time he'd like to. By getting the funding through our grant program, he was able to extend his his season for selling the asparagus fresh 
and that helps our local food production. So what this program that you're talking about is very valuable. It's it's very important yeah, to are, agriculture. And now, imagine a simple fix that could really help us uh, and really grow the revenues yeah. for our farmers. Yeah. Um, the one last thing that we want to get included sure. among uh, there's other bills that I'm co-sponsoring too, but this is another key one that's the Dairy Pricing Opportunity Act of 2023. And you all came to me with this during the milk uh, the farm bill listening session. So. And the last farm bill, which was 2018, uh, the federal milk marketing order system was reformed to set the fluid milk price as the average price uh, for milk used in cheese and the price for milk used in butter and dried form. But this change has not really worked, as you know. And so uh, it's resulted in a lot of dairy farms like losing millions in revenue. So what we've done is we'll return the fluid milk pricing to the previous higher of instead of the average of and require a report on dairy producer costs to ensure our farmers are fairly compensated for the milk. And I think that it was intended uh, in 2018 to be helpful, but in, in fact, it wasn't. And so we want to make sure that the farmers are getting the higher of instead of the average of, because it literally made it, it, it's millions of dollars in difference and could really help our farmers out. So that was another issue that you all brought to me, and I, and I appreciate that, and we're, we're in on that bill as well. Yeah, and that's really, really important because, you know, during, during the pandemic, we saw uh, class three prices really take off, cheese prices, and we saw the butter, non-fat dry milk prices just crash. And ultimately that cost during that time cost producers an awful lot of money uh, because we were using the average. So you had a very low price in four in, in the butter side, you had a very high price on the cheese side. Had we been the higher of, we'd have been fine. Now, recently, it was just the opposite. Here in the last few months, we saw cheese prices crater. We saw, you know, class class three cheese price, cheese milk uh, get as low as $12 a hundredweight, while the class four, the butter nonfat dry milk price, stayed up uh, $18, $19. So we, again, experienced only just the opposite from the pandemic, which costs cost us a lot of money. And we... You know, we saw producers in part, some parts of the country really got nailed with that. I mean, fortunately for us uh, here, 60% of our price is from the butter, nonfat, dry milk side. So we were shielded a little bit. But, yeah, uh, that's that's a big deal for uh, dairy producers. Yeah, and I, and I think it's important, too, that this is all bipartisan, which is why we hope we can get it into the farm bill. Um, we're hoping that, you know, obviously we, we'd like to see, as again, I don't want to see any programs cut uh, for on the farming side. I think there's a lot we can do to incentivize SNAP and really get people out. And, and we do have a crisis now. This is, I mean, I see this as a, an employer, uh, our family business, also dealing with just everyone I meet. I've been touring businesses across the, this entire district, and I hear about it when I was in the small business uh, from across the country, it, again, we need get to get people back to work. We need incentives for people to go to work, not to stay home uh, and, and to be productive. And if we're productive, we can bring in revenues. We can start cutting away at our deficits and our debt, which are things that we need to do to have a strong nation. We need to stand up where, and be strong across the rest of, you know, having being beleaguered with debt and costs and an out of control border. You know, it's the opposite formula for what we need to do. And I just think we have this tremendous opportunity in agriculture uh, with the country and, and, the, and the, the natural gifts that we have, uh, you know, our God-given gifts in our region and our country to be able to produce food, uh, where so many other areas, especially upstate, you know, I mean, we do have harsh winters, but when it comes to the growing season, 
for the most part, we get we, we get pretty lucky. We have a few frosts, a few things here and there, but the technology is, is just getting better and better. We're producing amazing food. And I just think it's, a, it's just the un, untouched gem that we have that could really turn our nation around. And again, what is it? It always comes back to the farmers, doesn't it? It's amazing how that works. Yeah, and you know, I yeah. we recently had some conversations with some uh, some folks from New Zealand who were looking at this region, and uh, the one comment they made was, we never, ever have a crop failure here in the Northeast. We may have a dry spell. We may have a wet spell. We may have an early frost that will impact some producers. But we never have a total loss. We always produce a crop. And we have abundant water. And like you said, we're close to markets. I mean, when you look at where we are to the port of Montreal, where we are to the port of Newark, um, then we have the Great Lakes ports, you know, Oswego, Ogdensburg, a lot of a lot of grain moves in and out of those two port facilities. You know, we're so fortunate to be positioned. And your district just really encompasses all those great resources. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, it really is. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's tremendous. I mean, you drive around, you see it, you see, and you see so much potential. I mean, it's already, in everything's in bloom, and it's phenomenal, but, you know, the potential is just amazing. I just think we need to do that. We, we've got to take control of this country, and we've got to get, uh, you know, this, these are, I, I know things are cyclical, but I feel like we're at a point where we really need to, to turn things around. And, I, and one of the things I do as a member of Congress, which I guess I'm the only one that does it, uh, and I don't know why, but I even even the sort of the liberal kind of far left-leaning media does uh, compliment me for one thing, and that is that I explain every vote that I take on the House floor in detail. Mm-hmm. And I do that because I want to be as transparent as I can be, but to inform the people that I represent so they know what's going on in Washington so we can decode some of these Bills that sound good but really aren't. Things that look like they're good but they're really not. It comes maybe from me owning a newspaper and being a publisher in the background, also being a lawyer, but also caring so much about our country and that concept of self-governance and everything that represents uh, uh, the farmers represent in our country. To have your tract of land to grow, to produce, to you know, to sell to your neighbors, you know, all those concepts that that are really part of the great American history. And yet we, we need to get back to that. And that's what worries me is that we aren't recognizing that if we're not self-governing and we aren't deciding what our fate is, the government will do that. And that's where we'd love to have government out of the way. Right. But we need government to get us to the point where we, you know, especially with the farm bill, we need government to get us where we can be self-sustaining and, and get ourselves back on track because we're just overburdened with, you know, just a, a large government. Uh, that's often not helpful and also often confuses our constituents and our citizens. Yeah, government should be taking down barriers, not putting up barriers. Exactly. Good point. Uh, I've probably gone too long, but it's such a (laughs) fun to talk to you. Oh, Congressman, we love talking to you. So. As long as as long as you're able to stay, we we love talking to you. But we yeah, thank you. We will wrap it up in fairness to you because we we did tell you well we'd only take a certain amount of your time. So we appreciate your time very no, much, and, folks. And, you know, Congresswoman, anytime you want to talk about issues, I mean, there is there's more issues we haven't even touched on, like labor issues and H yeah. two A oh, issues yeah. and all that. So anytime you want to talk about issues, we. We're more than happy to engage in that conversation. Oh yeah, that's oh, absolutely. Well, I'd love to. I'd love to continue to talk to you and and find out uh, what else is going on, what else you need to know in the district specific, or just generally 
uh, when deal, we deal with, you know, real breaking issues, especially I'll keep you posted on what's yep, going on great. Uh, with our Canadian negotiations and some other things. But I'd love to come out, just, just send us a, you know, a message and something's breaking. We'll jump right on, even if it's for five or 10 minutes or whatever. We, yeah. Yeah, we really, uh, really appreciate that you do the show, that you take the time uh, to, to really get in depth on the issues. It's really important. That's what I try to do. Some people say, oh, you take too long to explain your votes. I was like, I have tens of thousands of people, I think 80 or 90,000 people in the whole country who actually go and look at my vote explanation just because they want to know, you know, a sane perspective on why we vote a certain way. And I, and I think I wish everybody did it and, yeah. you know, everyone has their own view of it. And certainly I try to be as, as, uh, as neutral as I can on it. I'm obviously more on the conservative side, but, you know, I consider myself a conservative Republican, but I'm just trying to get people to understand that we need to control our government. This government is about us. And, and when you talk about farming and, you know, property rights are mentioned more in the constitution than freedom. And so uh, that is so important. And I think people don't realize this is something we've got to preserve and protect our property, our ability to use that property, to cultivate it, to harvest it. And to, you know, this is, this is exactly, you know, why I love my agricultural roots as a family in my family and also you know, being an upstate New Yorker, it's just, it, we are so blessed with this, but we can't forget about it. You know, you, you see these, you know, famous uh, discussions of people saying, you know, you should go, you shouldn't go hunting. You should buy your meat at Walmart, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, we laugh from upstate New York. Yeah. yeah we, we laugh in upstate New York, but you go to New York city yeah. and people actually still believe that. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. You know, I tell people you can mess with me, but don't mess with my home. I've got twenty acres. That's my little piece of heaven. Don't come on my property and mess with my home. That's not a good idea. We want to preserve that. We want you to preserve that because that's your right as an American and a person who believes in the Constitution. Absolutely, Amen. amen, amen. Well, Congresswoman, we'll let you go. Thank you very much for coming on today. Very appreciated. Yeah. Thanks so much. Always great to be on. I uh, wish you guys the best of luck and God bless you and your audience. Yeah, thank, thank you, you very Congress much. Woman. Thank you very much. Well, folks, that was Congresswoman Claudia Tenney from the 24th Congressional District covering, oh, let's see, from Clayton all the way over to Lockport, almost all of the Lake Ontario shoreline here in New York, a great agricultural district. And uh, we just had a great conversation with the Congresswoman. Folks, uh, make sure you come back again to listen to Jay Madison's Rural America. Thank you for tuning in to Jay Madison's Rural America. Make sure to join us weekly. If you have any questions about the show, call Jay at 315-782-5865. For more information, visit www.agricultureevents.com or jcida.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to Jay Madison's Rural America.